At risk for health disparities are members of socially and economically marginalized populations due to race, ethnicity, sex, gender identity, sexual orientation, language, age, religion, disability, socioeconomic status, and geographic location. That quote comes to us from today's guest, Dr. Laura Geyer, delivered by our wonderful producer, Jasmine, who is just amazing, by the way, and love to have her support on being able to do this podcast. So thank you for reading that. And I think it's a really good intro into talking about today's topic, which is public health, health inequities, uh, aka health disparities, social determinants of health. We get into discussing really... uh, what's really in my heart. I really have great inspiration to try and promote health in myself and my family, my friends, the community, and and really carved out a great academic and professional career doing so. The work I I do here at the Center for Independent Living and supporting our center staff uh, is to do work that really ultimately, I believe, is impacting the health and well-being of the people that we serve in the the community and especially in a group, as stated in this quote, that has been marginalized and experiences what's known as health inequities. For example, people with disabilities are less likely to live the average lifespan as people without disabilities, more likely to get preventable chronic diseases, such as the top killers in our country, such as heart disease, respiratory diseases, cancer, strokes, diabetes, and by the way, COVID. So we are experiencing a rate of inequities that needs to be addressed. And how do we address it? It's very complicated. And so the area of public health that really tries to unpack this, uh, I think is just an amazing field to go into be in. It's very altruistic, learn a lot about ourselves, the importance of serving others. And Dr. Geyer is somebody I met along the way in this journey. And we share a common belief about a solution to addressing these health inequities. And that would be leveraging what we call community academic partnerships. So you got the community, you got the academics, which are post-secondary institutions, which could be universities, could be colleges, could be community colleges. These places have resources, human resources, material resources, financial resources that can be brought to bear to address a lot of the local health needs that are around the area and doing it in a way that helps to serve the students perhaps of these post-secondary institutions and getting real world hands-on experience known as service learning things that you cannot get in a classroom learning in the community working to help improve the health of a community and and getting to know different groups of people that are much different than perhaps a typical college population would have enrolled into it. And so from my experiences, from Dr. Geyer's experiences, we've seen what happens when community academic partnerships can materialize, when people can break out of their silos, when community-based organizations can be brought into the fold to really participate and coordinate together in areas that are really ultimately helping locals to improve their health, locals to the community uh, that are very important to the community and the role that post-secondary institutions play in addressing a lot of the health inequities that are experienced by the marginalized groups. And so I'm very honored and blessed to have Dr. Geyer on this conversation. It's been wonderful working with her and continuing to work with her to really 
be a strong voice and advocate for groups that we really need to be paying attention to is what I consider to be the most important and highest work that we need to be doing out there is really reaching those that can be the most marginalized, most vulnerable, and uh, doing everything that we can do to be the best versions of ourselves so that we can serve these communities, these people that deserve the equal access, the equal care based on their needs. And we would love to hear what you think about this, so please reach out if you have any thoughts about this because this is something that I believe is a responsibility for all of us. Enjoy the episode. So here we finally are. At long last. So we're going to have this conversation. We're going to actually record it for others to hear. Yeah. And, and, and what's real special about this for me is that uh, you're the first that we've had in person since COVID. Oh, wow. Really. That like the first season, we did a few in person. Uh, but this is like going into season two for us. So it's a real honor to have you here in person. And one of the things I really appreciated about it too is, is like you're on my A list for people to talk to, <laughs> and 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 so it's a great joy to have you here. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, I feel honored to be the first <laughs> live person back. You know, it feels like life is coming back to quote normal, but it's going to be a new normal. Yeah. I mean, COVID and I think Zoom. If any of us had known a year ago what Zoom was going to do, all wow. of us would have bought stock in right. Zoom, right? Zoom is, has taken us places we 100%. never envisioned, you know, in the yeah. past. Sure. But you're on my A-list too, Tony, <laughs> because again, the work that you do is so important. And you serve a community that isn't on the radar of so many people, even those who are trained and who work in public health and health care. Um, we don't think about disability other than in an academic sense, perhaps. Uh -huh. We might know statistics, but we often don't know people. And we don't realize perhaps how many people we do know live with who live with hidden disabilities sure. or disabilities that they don't talk about. There's so much that we could be learning about healthcare needs and how to end disparities in this community. Yeah. So I'm excited to be able to be here with you and talk about, you know, how we can go forward and <laughs> oh, make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. And, and that, you just explained the reason uh, why I wanted to have you on because of your perspectives and, and, and your experience. You got so many different experiences, whether it's in the community and serving people that had rural health needs right. for so many years, um, getting hands-on experience with people, with eyeballs, but also having your academic experiences where you bring in very good high-level conceptual understandings that can match it alongside real-life experience. Mm -hmm. yeah. And to be able to bring those both together, I think is a recipe for very wise people. And so this is why I really wanted to have you on, because you thread the needle there. Yeah. You know, well, not just from one one or the other. You got your, your, your feet in both. You're, you're both theoretical and conceptual, but you're also applied. Right. And, and bringing those worlds together, because I find that people will you know, kind of like compartmentalize mm -hmm. maybe in one. Right. And there's there's a sweet spot uh, in there somewhere. And I, and I really uh, look up to the people that are able to thread the needle, and, and you do that very well. <laughs> I think I'm just a risk taker. Um, oh, yeah. I know. Sure. I started as a clinical dietitian, so started you know right out of school doing what I was trained to do, yeah. but very soon discovered that 
although my science background was very strong, yeah. I didn't have the skills that I needed to connect and communicate with people. Wow. And there were so many different kinds of people that I was meeting at, in the hospital, different levels of education, everything from you know high school graduates to you know very well-educated professors, um, people from the rural community, people who lived here in Gainesville. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to the work I was doing with, you know, talking about nutrition, I also, because I was in the food service department, was teaching food service workers how to keep the food safe and uh -huh. about personal hygiene practices and, and temperatures for food, a safety zone. So many of those um, staff members didn't even have a high school diploma. So what I discovered very quickly was that as a health professional, my science was sound, but I didn't have the communication skills that I needed. So going, I went back to school through the College of Education, which isn't a route that a lot of health professionals take. Uh -huh. um, for me, it's opened up opportunities in my career. My phone tends to ring about every 10 years. So I transitioned out of the clinical setting, and when I finished with school, actually UF was on the phone calling me to see if I would you know, come back to UF and work in the dietetics program that I had graduated from, which was really wow. an interesting experience. So then I was able to bring in the academic focus, looking at, at health and healthcare and people and communication. 10 years later, again, I was out at Suwannee River Area Health Education Center working in public health. Yeah. So then seeing really the rural community and the lack of access to care that we find in our rural areas. And then 10 years later, UF called and said, hey, would you come back? And so that's where I've been for the last 10 years. That's great. And so I, I almost want to back this up a little bit in the sense that, you know, give it, give it some context in the sense that you're very inspired about health. Mm -hmm. health. I'm inspired by health, health. And, and by the people that I have met and worked with in this community. Huh. Truly, I didn't want to stay in Gainesville when I graduated, okay. but I got married and uh -huh. at that time my husband was still in school, so we stayed. Yeah. And so I, as I started working and getting to know people in the community, I began to see how big health and healthcare was. Yeah. And that it was more than just clinical care. And I got to know many of the nonprofit organizations like the Center for Independent Living, uh -huh. like Suwannee River Area Health Education yeah. Center, like Well Florida Council, which is our regional health planning council, and they are the umbrella for many other organizations um, also that, that have a regional impact. When you start to get to know people who are focused on public health care and health care, uh -huh your life changes. Yeah, it does. So my life yeah. has been changed by being part of this community. And, and so again, the change kind of comes through the door of health. I'm interested to know what, what does health mean to you? Like, how do you define health? Like your own definition? You know, that, that is, it certainly is more than the absence of disease or infirmity. Um, I see health probably much as the definition of health equity, okay, would imply that it's, it's equal access to opportunities for good health. So when a person has access to health care because they have a need for health care and they get good quality health care that's the same as the person that was just ahead of them and uh -huh. the person that will follow them, that's what health is all about. Being able to live life to your fullest, recognizing that all of us are different. Wow. And, and so I think this might be a good time to cut to the, uh, I've asked you to read a, a quote 
And it comes from your own writing. <laughs> and, and I would read it if I had the uh, eye acuity to do it. <laughs> I, I, I would. I, I probably should have committed it to memory. I could paraphrase it, but I don't think I would do it justice. So if you don't mind reading that statement, because I think it just really aligns with what you just said. It's really the, the combined definitions of health equity, you know, and what is health equity? Sure. So it has that, that connotation or that association with justice. Okay, sure. health justice. Right. So health equity will be realized when every individual has the same opportunity to obtain their full health potential because there is equal access to equal health care based upon equal need. Wow. And so as we look, I know, at our own community, and we are a, really a model for students who come to this community, we are a model of their communities, but we also model, I think, in many ways what health care could look like and what health equity could look like so when when you talk about you know there's three like equals i know i noticed that you you're in this statement mm -hmm. here I, i've by the way i love uh full potential in our health yeah. have yeah. the opportunity at least exactly opportunity opportunity for, for yeah. achieving our full potential of yeah. health i love that all right that 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 grabbed me you had me there <laughs> and, and then so going on down that statement and, and we're going to provide this in the show notes and going down in the statement, um, you, you connect, you know, three different areas of health. Right. You know, so you're, you're, you were talking about uh, equal access. access so right. number one, ding. Number two, health care, yeah. uh, you know, health equity, yeah. you know, in that, in that sense. And then uh, your third one there was health uh, equity need. Yeah. So, uh, you know, equal access, mm -hmm. um, equal care. Mm -hmm based on equal need. Exactly. Unpack that. Unpack where you're coming from from there. Because all of those areas are the barriers that we find to the opportunities for good health. When you don't have access to care, because perhaps geographically you live in a rural area, or you live in a, an underserved part of your community where there isn't transportation so you're not close to and you don't have access or ability to get to a health provider uh -huh. when you're sick you want to be able to see the professional that you need based upon your illness everyone doesn't have health insurance mm. everyone doesn't have transportation yeah. and again we want to make sure that everyone has the same quality of health care there are many barriers to health care quality. Some are, are barriers in the individuals, people in the community. They may not speak the language. They may have different disabilities, may have difficulty with communication or mm -hmm. hearing. Um, we also might have uh, patients with low health literacy. They don't know much about their health or they may have low literacy skills. And so again, it's, it's difficult to implement recommendations that a provider makes. Right. So again, you know, what are those barriers there within the patients? They can be within providers who don't know how to communicate effectively. Certainly, there were many barriers in, in me when I was a clinician because I didn't know how to communicate with everybody. Uh -huh. So I went back to school to develop some additional skills. And there can be barriers in the environment as well, the learning environment. If you're in a hospital setting, there's a lot taking place. It's very stressful. You're sick. You're, maybe you're taking medication, affecting your ability to remember or your ability to think clearly and yeah. ask questions. So right. sometimes the environment is a, becomes a barrier to effective care. So what I hear you saying here is, is uh, what I ref 
you know, have read about the social ecological model, mm-hmm. where it goes from, you know, looking at all the different factors that are related to health outcomes right. and, and, and addressing them at each of those different levels to equilibrate for equality. So what are the individual level factors? What are the interpersonal level factors? Sure. What are the community-based factors? What are the larger scale societal policy right. environment? And so integrating all those different levels together in those intersections there that, that happen, mm-hmm. um, what are some of the things that you would find helpful in terms of addressing these areas where there is a need for equal access, equal care, uh, based on equal need? So, so given that this ecological framework, mm-hmm. where would you say like some important things that you've learned yeah. could be applied to addressing this inequity? I would say that most of my work in my career has been focused on the education of health professionals, Uh. okay? First of all, we we need to start from the point of awareness. Awareness, that science background that we have that's so important for understanding the research and understanding medicine and understanding, you know, how your body works, very important. But equally important is remembering that we're going to be working with people. So how can we affect them? How can we communicate with them? All those different levels that you just mentioned in, this, in, in the model. If we don't have an awareness that all of those factors are possibly impacting the outcome of our conversation and then the outcome of healthcare, right. we have to have that awareness. And we need to think about how to integrate more of the social and the behavioral sciences mm-hmm. into the curriculum not only at, in, at the professional level in medical school, dental school, but at the pre-professional level. Because Dr. Delisle, we have undergraduate students who in terms of their developmental milestones, you know, all throughout life, we have developmental milestones that we reach, right? Mm-hmm. So between the ages of 18 and 22, when you're an undergraduate, okay, at a university, what are your developmental milestones? There are several that are very significant. Number one, you are becoming an adult and recognizing that you are independent of your parents and different from and independent from other adults. Mm. Number two, you are finding your place in life. Yeah. Number three, you're looking for how you can make a difference. And so when you capture undergraduate students and you help them see the possibilities of the better health, the good health, the opportunities for health that we can provide by training a little differently, introducing you to people in the community while Mm. you're undergraduate students so that you have opportunities to take everything you're learning in the classroom, see how it works in the real world. You know, I think about students who have worked with you over the years, um, undergraduate students that I've sent to work with you and work with your staff to serve everybody that here in Alachua County that um, Center for Independent Living is is serving. Uh-huh. Those students benefit, you benefit, the community benefits. Yes. There's nothing better than a win-win-win, <laughs> honestly. It's the best. And so I, I want to acknowledge you for, for doing something that is, is super in what I, alignment with what I believe, and that's post-secondary institutions, universities, colleges, even community colleges, perhaps even trade schools. I think have the resources there, human, material, financial, to bring to bear to solving some of the mm-hmm. local uh, complex public health needs that are there. Right. Um, and 
you, like you said, would be, uh, w you know, one hand, we're meeting local needs. And, and on the other, we're training people uh, at, at the same time. And, you know, it's just a beautiful you know, partnership that you've created because you have, you know, so many students going year round, you know, and you know, 10 years of experience mm -hmm. and, and put, lacing them into different community based organizations and other places that are uh, around the community that does engage people. And so you planted so many seeds after, you know, 10 years of, I don't know how many students you put through uh, the health disparities minor uh, practicum experiences that we're talking about. About 900. Here. A year? A nine, about 900 total for 10 years have gone through the, wow. the entire 15 credit minor. It's a lot of seeds you have planted. But I've had, <laughs> gosh, I don't know, 2,000 students who have taken just the Introduction to Health Disparities course. So not everybody who takes, who has taken some of my courses actually fills the, fulfills um, all, all the courses to, uh -huh. to meet the minor. But, you know, again, this is the 21st century. Medicine and healthcare, you know, first of all, the students are different, okay? The students yeah. of, the undergraduate students of today aren't the same as the undergraduate students of 1950, okay? Yeah, 1960. Yeah, 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 of course, yeah. The world has changed sure. too, you know, medicine and science and technology, you know, we've, we've moved forward in, in so many ways, but yeah. in, in some ways we're still training like we were still in the 20th century. So what can yeah. we do differently? And this is where introducing students who want to go into careers in healthcare or public health or even law and you know but how can we introduce them to people like you who are doing the work you you are serving a population that has health disparities because we're talking about people that are aren't on the radar of so uh -huh. many other um, individuals we have communities within our larger community. And that's something that, again, we so many times think about, well, what are the needs in our community? Well, we don't have just this homogenous community. What we have is a community that's made up of smaller communities, uh -huh. and each smaller community has its own set of needs. So as we can become aware of who those individual communities are, you know, we can interact, we can find out what their needs, then we can do what we can to remove the barriers so that they can have, again, opportunities for most optimal health possible. something that I think that's important to note as a distinction. I think when people think about like health, health care, they think very clinical. Right. We're thinking doctors, nurses in, you know, the rehab clinics or mm -hmm. the or hospitals or ERs or your common, you know, garden variety family doctor's right. office. And, 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 but you and I have an, I think a much broader mm -hmm. sense of like public health. No, right. is actually being in the community with the right. people delivering services that meet uh, what you and I and others in the field refer to as uh, the social determinants of health. Right. And so one of the things that I find very interesting in, in terms of you were talking about the, you know, academic, you know, rigor or standards that students have to go through are very archaic, uh, perhaps, and, and, and need to be broadened and perhaps revisited. We'll get into that. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I find, especially when we take on your students, is, is that, you know, I, I come from the field of health. I love health. I, I love 
learning more uh, about how to promote healthy behaviors right. in people, especially mm -hmm. physical activity and nutrition and stress management. Uh, those are so in my wheelhouse. I love talking about how to communicate with people, health literacy, health right. competencies. Yeah. You know, those are very important. Um, but when, when we look at health behaviors, I think from what I understand, mm -hmm. the research is like in terms of uh, impact on health outcomes is you know relatively around 20 25 percent will impact how long we live and resiliency to chronic disease yep. and you know access to health mm -hmm. care mm -hmm. quality health care which is very important it's like around 20 percent exactly social determinants are like around 40 50 yeah, percent exactly. and, and, and we're talking then uh, well what are the social determinants well it's a you know educational level um, did you graduate high school or not mm -hmm. graduate high school? It's employment, it's right. social economic status and exactly. income, it's access to housing, it's access to transportation. It's these things that are the most impactful. Mm -hmm. right. When I was going through the academic rigor in the system, I wasn't trained on that area. No. I was trained on areas I just really, right. truly love. Right. But I would tell your students, come in here, is this experience here, is going to you know give you an opportunity to see how do we get people graduated how do we find people a job how do we get people housed right. oh yeah how do we address their transportational exactly. needs right. and and i think it really provides that rich well-rounded experience and that would not happen if it wasn't for you yeah you know, well, being doing that but but i did find that that was missing in in my you know experience in the academic we didn't know this yeah. information you know i mean information advances doesn't it and so that's again why i say we are in the 21st century so we need to be preparing our health professionals and public health professionals we're passing the baton well the baton has some limitations maybe the baton has some holes in it because we were trained at a different time yeah. you know when i went to school we weren't talking about health disparities sure. we didn't have the first published report until 1985 we weren't talking about cultural competence. We weren't talking about health literacy, uh -huh. social determinants of health. Yeah. We know again, like you, like you just mentioned, that those non-medical factors 80 contribute. Eighty percent of all health outcomes exactly, outside the exactly, yeah. exactly. So, you know, how can all, how can we capitalize on what we're doing now without losing what we, you know, have from the past to build a better doctor, build a better nurse, build a better dentist, build a better, <laughs> yeah. you know, public health professional. You know, part of the key, I think, with health is, you know, certainly we want to prevent disease. We want to, like you said, lifestyle and, and our health behaviors. Yeah. What can we do to, to promote health more effectively so that people don't become sick and develop chronic disease that needs to be managed? Yeah. And that's where the healthcare system exists. It, it exists to to treat illness to a small extent to promote health uh -huh. but but again you know looking at reimbursement that's you know we don't pay yeah. our unfortunately in in the US yeah. the way that we spend our healthcare dollars it's yeah. not yeah. on the social services like so and, many and other countries based. it's exactly. symptomatic yeah, yeah exactly yeah, after it already happened yeah. so so let me go in on um, something that i think is really important here too is that um, so when students go through and they, they, they get these more well-rounded experiences, they can become that build a better doctor, build a better you know kind of dentist and, and clinician and those kind of things. That's great. When I was there at the university, I experienced this a lot where students would come in, you know, really mind and heart set on becoming mm -hmm. a doctor, right. becoming a nurse, 
And then realizing through that academic way that often is archaic, the rote memory and repeating it back and, and, and a lot of the kind of standards for which you know, people are through, put through medical schools and, and those are other kind of things. A lot of students didn't fit into that model, but had great interpersonal skills, mm -hmm. really good about like wanting to collaborate, wanting to do things that are really important in terms right. of being a community organizer, super inspired to promote health, but really had a hard time like shifting gears. Right. Um, I think there was some identity, perhaps loss of identity that they were going through at that same time. You know, telling all your parents and everybody you're going to school and you're going to do this, and then coming to realize, well, is that's, that really me? That's not the best fit for yeah. me after all. So, so who, sure. like speaking to people that perhaps are going through an experience where <clears throat> they're realizing perhaps I wanted to go this way, but I'm actually going to go that way, and and because I do see that it you know mm -hmm. potentially could right. promote health more than even being in a clinic, but are struggling in that area to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. What would you say to, to people like that in, in making the right decision for who they are? You may not know this about me, but I'm living my plan B. I was a pre-med student when gotcha. I started, yeah. okay, at the University of Florida. And I because I loved science, I didn't know the full, I didn't know the scope of all that I could do with my love of science. And so as yeah. I progressed, cool. you know, in my undergraduate studies, I, again, continued to love science, but didn't really love the sciences that I knew would be the foundation for a career in medicine. Sure. And I, you know, some of my priorities changed in terms of the amount of time I wanted to spend in school and the things that I wanted to do. So I found dietetics, which is, you know, another health profession. There are so many health professions that you can be part of oh, and yeah. you can work with people to improve their health. Yeah. But there's a niche for everybody. There is, a, in a similar yeah. way, public health, though, is about prevention, so and it is about the community yeah. involvement that yeah. you were mentioning. And so, again, I've... And there's I've, careers in this area. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Again, for myself, every 10 years, my phone rang. Yeah. So I've gone from that health career, health profession, yeah. into really public health and, and education. So there's kind of been an addition to you know my starting point it's it, i'm still working in in science and in healthcare and in education but um, with a different expression of my responsibilities i mean look how many people graduate and they they really work in jobs they don't like you know it, it <laughs> might be connected people, to what they studied right yeah, yeah i mean there is a statistic yeah. but the, the majority it's more than 50% of people do work in jobs they don't like and the majority of people end up working in fields that weren't part of their studies when they went to college. Yeah. I th that's fine. You know, be be willing to to take a chance, to take a risk, be willing to get to know yourself better so that you really know who you are in terms of your strengths and your your weaknesses and your likes and your dislikes so you can find a career that's your best starting point. And I say starting point only because Life is ahead of us. We don't know what's coming. <laughs> I could have never predicted I would be sitting here with you right now right? after being a professor at the University of Florida at two different times and yeah. working in public health. I yeah. could have never predicted that because from my starting point, I, none of this honestly existed at that time. <laughs> Again, health disparities didn't even exist. So we don't know what's ahead in our future, but if we find a good starting point and be willing to take chances when opportunity knocks, least open the door and see what's on the other side. <laughs> I think that's the, the most exciting way to live your life. 
It's always a starting point. I it like is that. A starting uh, I point. like that. It, life's always ahead of us, and so it's always a starting point. Yeah, it's not a right or wrong proposition. You're not going to make a mistake. You just need a starting point. It takes a little bit of courage to get through that fear barrier. I think it does. Yeah, to get beyond yeah. that starting point yeah. and make progress. So, um, wanting to talk about an experience that we had. Uh, and I thought it was very educational on my part, and, I, and I'd like to get your take on it. But um, you're, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but you got a really sincere interest in access and one of those, to healthcare. Mm -hmm. And one of those areas of access is ensuring effective communication uh, between healthcare providers and the patients that are receiving their healthcare. And um, this is an issue in terms of meeting the needs of people in our community who right. are deaf and hard of hearing and often need effective communication that isn't provided to them on some occasions. Um, and, and, and really advocating for that is, is an important thing. And, and uh, tell us a little bit about your experience in that area wow. and ensuring uh, you know, equal access, effective communication you know, for, for this community. So this is a community that I have started to learn about. And the more that I have learned and the more that I continue to learn, the more it seems like this is an area of need, certainly locally in our community, but I know that our community isn't the only one that has a need to be able to increase access to care and increase access to effective health care by making communication possible for those who are deaf and hard of hearing. I had a group of students approach me a couple of years ago and they were aware of a need um, because they knew some folks who had gone into the emergency department at one of our local hospitals and they, that person couldn't, there was no one available to provide you know, medical interpretation for them so they couldn't communicate. And these students were really outraged about, you know, well, why, well, how could this happen, you know, here in Alachua County where we've got these two, you know, very large hospitals. Well, the more that we started to investigate, the more we began to realize that this is true not only maybe in an emergency setting, but also when people go to visit, you know, a physician or when they might be in the hospital, they sure. often have the same barriers to care. Well, gosh, what a unique opportunity I think for perhaps the University of Florida because I know in speaking with you about uh, the difficulty that you have in finding qualified interpreters you serve 16 counties sure. is that correct yes, and you have six or eight qualified interpreters well we have more um, on staff we have five full-time Right. And then we do uh, a good handful of people that do freelance interpreting. But we're talking about yeah. 16 counties, sure. you know. Yeah, no, we, finding, finding certified interpreters absolutely. is a huge need for us. I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely, if you're in the area and you're a certified interpreter <laughs> and you're listening, that's what I tell. <laughs> please check the Listen, show Listen, I've told the students that, honestly, because they're yeah. very interested in this. You know, it's like, yeah. really? You, they're interested in learning sign language. I said, listen, we could put those skills to very the, the, good the use. The people There's that such we have need. that do sign language interpreting for us, both in staff and the freelance, right. it's amazing. Right. Their, their, their abilities, their fluencies, their heart being in yeah. the right place. And, and to attract more people to our community mm -hmm. that have this talent, that yeah. have this heart, yeah. it, it is a good thing. Yeah. And like you and I were talking about earlier, it's like, why not? Right. Why don't we have a school here that certifies or, people? And, listen, we've got two yeah. incredible institutions here. We've got Santa Fe College. There you go. 
what, the number one college a few years ago in the nation, right? We've got University of Florida, and they've got, you know, College of Public Health and Health Professions. Yeah, big time. Seems to me that a certificate program would be ideally placed in one of these two institutions and just think of the needs in our community the needs in your 16 county service area sure. and you know it just it's a ripple effect that goes out from there yeah we noticed in the other schools that uh, will get people to the level of getting the credentials needed right. to to be a certified right um uh, and qualified as well is uh you, it allows for the community then to have more interpreters that live right. in it. A lot of them will stay in the community where the schools are. Deaf communities may then, you know, feel safer mm-hmm. and better living sure. in those communities too. Right. So it becomes a community that's more welcome right. for, like you said, a, a population that's not getting, you know, the equal access to the equal health care and obviously based on their needs, right. you know, not getting what they can. And, and it just seems like a win, 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 win. So... Yeah, again, yeah. again, we can keep advocating. Yeah. We'll keep putting the word out. But uh, I'd like to see that being, because like we said, health care field mm-hmm. here, the public health field right. here in, in Alaska County, it's got to be right. one of the biggest industries in town. Yeah. And you and I were also talking earlier about um, the fact that uh, Alachua County and the city of Gainesville, we're going through a, a planning period right now. So we are preparing to uh, develop our 2030 comprehensive plan for the city of Gainesville. Well, what is a comprehensive plan? Well, it's looking at how we will allocate resources over the next decade. You know, this is again, what you know, when we work in silos, and sometimes healthcare and public health are two silos that work independently from one another. Yeah. Education is another silo that works sure. independently. And here, look, you and I were just talking, and all three of those silos. If we stay in silos, we will never see an improvement in access to communication for people with disabilities. We've got to work across the silos, but now let's think about the comprehensive plan. We need to make sure that our city planners are aware of the fact that there's a need in our community for residents who are deaf and hard of hearing. They don't have access to many of the services in the community, including healthcare and and Mm -hmm. others, because again, we're not aware of their needs. How, how do we help them connect? You know, how do we help them communicate? This is something that is a community issue and we all need to be aware. So, you know, for those of us, you know, I know I feel a personal responsibility to get involved with, um, you know, the city and with, with, you know, what's taking place with planning and, and, you know, with the health department when we have our um, community health needs assessment. You know, uh-huh. are we are we making sure that we're learning about the needs of all of our individual communities, so that as a larger community, when we start to look at the the data, we can say, oh, okay, well, we need to allocate some resources to this group and to this uh-huh. group and this group because look at the unmet needs that they have. And if we're not communicating those needs, like you're saying, then it's not going to be identified in the right. plan. If it's not identified in the plan, then yeah. it's not identified in the resources that right. will be allocated right. to meet the needs that are in the plan. And then people go with unmet needs. And, and see, the yeah. reason we have health disparities is because we have a social problem. The social problem is the fact that we don't value all groups equally. Social inequity, social marginalization, Right. Mm -hmm. And so those groups that are marginalized, kind of like if you were having a banquet 
you know. When you looked around the table to make sure that everybody was there, you know, you would, there would be people in your mind that you would be looking for, right? Because you invited them to come to this banquet and sit around the table. Mm. So when we, I guess in, in our community, when we have a banquet, are we looking for the members of the individual communities, you know, people who um, have disabilities, members of the LGBT Q community? Are we looking for people who don't speak English as a first language? Are we looking for, again, we could just kind of almost go down a checklist of making sure that everybody's around the table so that we can get input from all. That's how we achieve health equity. Again, you know, getting input from all. So when you say we, so obviously you and I are in a privileged position to be able to invite Absolutely. people to the table. And and so I think you bring a good awareness to people uh, that may not have it or some blind spots might be, you know, in getting, you know, inviting people to the table. What recommendations do you have for the people that we're inviting to the table to also find their way to the table when they don't have that invitation extended to them? So we'll probably still have some blind spots oh, on absolutely. people we need to invite and yeah. where we need to do better and learn. And, and, and so um, I also know that, you know, again, the, the, the people that I end up do inviting that I'm aware of, you know, there could be some biases and just like, you know, just knowing them. And, mm -hmm. and so I know that I know, don't know a lot of people. So the people that, you know, perhaps don't have that extended invitation, how, how did they get to the table? That is such a good question. If I could give you the answer, we could solve a lot of yeah. social ills, you know, because the same group, the same groups that are marginalized, they aren't valued the same in healthcare that disadvantage expresses as health disparities. Huh. In the legal system, it expresses as greater rates of incarceration. You know, in the education system, it expresses as more likely to drop out of high school talking about the social determinants of health, we're talking about then individuals who will be economically marginalized. You know, they won't have the same education to get those same good jobs. Mm -hmm. I think a big piece, you know, lies in keeping the conversation going, this conversation going. Mm -hmm. I know last summer, you know, we started to talk about black lives mattering and they, they must matter. Well, did they matter only for last summer? Mm -hmm. Well, we've seen some, some changes, some social change that has been deliberate to overcome some of the biases, okay, that we have uh, about, you know, what we expect from um, different communities, from people who are different, you know, mm -hmm. than ourselves. The only group that we can really know is the group that we are part of. But we can want to know more. We can create a safe place, at least as we understand it, and then ask, invite people to, to come into that space and you know, help us understand you know, what needs to change to make it perhaps even more conducive for conversation. I think we have some hard conversations that we just need to have more of. Yeah, and, and, and I think the conversations are uh an important part of this and, and uh, yeah, having them uh, in tandem with doing the mm -hmm. work. Right. 
doing the work, I think is a, like a key part of this. Yeah. Um, for me, in my experiences, I found that I've been able to enter into those communications and conversations on a very deep level right. when working alongside the community. Yeah. And so what advice do you have then in terms of networking out with communities or with other agencies to break down those silos? What, what, what do you like see as being good to overcome the, a lot of the different barriers mm-hmm. in connecting with community, right. working al- alongside them, you know, and, and not be expert driven, and you know, working with other agencies, especially if you have competing resources or right. whatever the uh, barriers are, be, you know, there. What, right. what are some things that you found of value that could really help facilitate some of those connections at a community or agency collaborative level? Right. I can tell you that I can give you a good example of an organization that I think does this really well, and that's Gainesville for All. Because Gainesville for All has is broken into different committees that really represent some of the different power silos of power in the community. So we've uh-huh. got, you know, education, we've got healthcare and transportation, we've got, you know, law enforcement, we've got housing. So, you know, we think about all those as, you know, individual siloed, you know, groups, but Gainesville for All, all of those committees are working together on the same problem, and the problem that they're addressing is the the inequity, the social, economic, racial inequity between East and West Gainesville. Uh So how can we, I, I think in the groups that we are part of, how can we look for ways to be more inclusive, to bring in people different than ourselves or people with interests that will help complement or solve some of the issues that we're dealing with. So, you know, earlier I, I said, you know, here, look, we're talking about healthcare, public health and education, you know, needing to work together on the issue of yeah. how do we find ways to have more certified, you know, translators and medical interpreters. So again, who's going to be part of the solution for the problem that you're dealing with? Often you don't have the expertise just within your own silo. You need to go find a couple more silos to partner with. Yeah. And and the tough thing is knowing, well, who are they? Who are those those people that I need? Yeah. But it's, you know, it's with the relationships that you build and talking to other people, asking, you know, well, who would you invite? Who do you think could help us, you know, solve this problem? Sometimes you need to bring law into a problem that, you know, has to do with health care and maybe education. So, you know, think about those partnerships that will, um, that are needed to find a solution. And in, in, in finding those partnerships and cultivating those relationships and doing the work and communicating along the same time and having these conversations that, you know, may be hard to lean into, I think is so integral. And, and so that's, again, why I really enjoy uh, having conversations with you, that you're very applied. <laughs> and, 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 again, have the conceptual framework to be able to, you know, uh, be able to talk about, discuss, unpack, think about, test, uh, revisit. Uh, you, the tool to be able to do that mm-hmm. and, and integrate it together. And I really appreciate that about you, Dr. Guy. Well, I appreciate about you, Dr. Delisle, the <laughs> fact that this is what I see you doing. You know, how do you keep people living at home empowered and independent? Again, you don't do that by staying in your own silo. And yeah. not only do you have Alachua County and all of its silos to deal with, but you have Alachua County as a silo. And then you have Marion County as a silo. All of the counties that are in your 16-county service area are very different. It's a big responsibility. It is a big responsibility. But, again, I know that 
part of your philosophy is to, is to again collaborate and cooperate and you know build you know those relationships it's the only way that we really can can get the work done yeah unity through disability and, you know yeah. and and so one of, one of the things that i think uh, is real interesting i'd like to get your take on and and it impacts um all the different marginalized groups that you you had mentioned there um but is stigma and and stigma being an inhibitor to you know right. even accessing Healthcare, or even wanting to get to the table, not feeling mm -hmm. psychologically right. safe, right. you know, to even be at the table, we got to recognize that, you know, Absolutely. like for right now in our time, right now, um, there's there's many, you know, Asian American. Mm -hmm. I'm saying a broad umbrella here, sure. you know, term that, right. you know, so right now, don't feel safe to go outside, to don't feel safe, you know, to be able to even then communicate or mm -hmm. get to a table to address right. a need and do all these kind of things. And it's important for us to recognize, you know. That's almost beyond stigma. That's just like, you know, your personal safety is at yeah. risk and, and being sensitive to that. And then, you know, the broader stigma that these groups go through, it's very tough and can be problematic mm -hmm. to access and, and those kind of things. What do you have to say in terms of how we can overcome a lot of the stigmas that the marginalized groups tend to sure. have upon them mm -hmm. um, so that we can help to promote health outcomes? Yeah. You know, one of the first examples that comes to mind is mental health. The stigma, you know, sure. associated with a, a diagnosis of a mental health disorder. I, I know that I have seen a real change um, over the last 10 years when I think about the students and their interest in talking about mental health. Mm. I have seen the development or the emergence of probably five new student-led organizations related to mental health and promoting mental health awareness. And I think for some of the issues that are associated with stigma, again, continuing the conversation, I think we need to look at our media uh, as uh, places where we wanna look at how people are portrayed. We wanna look at the, the comedy, you know, who, who are we making fun of and, you know, what does that really say in terms of continuing stigma or discrimination or some of the other you know, negative outcomes? And again, just continuing to normalize mental health as one more dimension of health. I you know, tell people that, especially if you wanna go into healthcare, the first patient you're gonna care for is you. So if you can't take care of your first patient, how do you ever expect to care for somebody else? And I use myself as an example, and, and I will tell students who want to go into healthcare, listen, for myself, for to maintain my health, I take care of my physical health uh -huh. by seeing my primary care physician at least once a year. Uh -huh. I see my dentist because from the chin down belongs to my primary yeah. care physician. Yeah. And then I go to my mouth, somehow that's not connected to the body, has got a different person, <laughs> yeah. but I see yeah. my dentist, okay, at least twice a year to maintain my oral health. Yeah. And who takes care of what's between, you know, from my, my right. nose up, well, that's yeah, my, yeah, yeah. That's my yeah. brain, my yeah. emotional well-being. I've yeah. got a therapist that I see at least once a year yeah. because I don't want to wait until a problem becomes big and immobilizing I want to have a mental health checkup just like I do my oral health checkup and my physical health That's checkup. Right. That's right. And let's not forget the spiritual dimension Huge. of health and well-being. And so let's yeah. make sure that we're paying attention whether we're part of a faith tradition 
or part of spiritual practices, including mindfulness, right. that we're taking time to connect with something or someone bigger than ourselves. That's how we can be healthy, and that's what we need to be modeling. Uh -huh. And if we can't take care of ourselves, we sure can't help anybody else. That's beautiful. And, and I think this is a good place to kind of round the corner on uh, in terms of like taking care of ourselves so that we can be the best version of ourselves right. to be able to serve others. I think is a tall calling. And, and I think along the way, uh, I love what you said, taking care of the first patient, you know, and, and, and I've heard it also in leadership. If you want to be a good leader, lead yourself. You know, when That's no one's great. looking and you, the choices you make or don't mm -hmm. make or do that don't do, um, even when no one's looking and especially when no one's looking, Absolutely. will matter when you are leading. Yeah. And, 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 and there's no compartmentalizing or siloing that. Absolutely. It's, it's just the nature of who we are. So true. And, and, and so it's kind of like walking the talk and being about it as well. So mm -hmm. if we're going to talk about it, we've got to be about it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. If you can't look at that person in the mirror who's looking back, yeah. Because that person will always find you out. <laughs> right? Yeah. If you're not living in, if I'm not living in alignment yeah. with my values, I right. feel it. It's just the things are off and, and, and that's a good sign yeah. to, to be aware of, like you said, with mindfulness right. and to go back in there. I love how you really tied in the you know, multiple dimensions of health, mental, emotional, spiritual. Those are very important. I think those are integrate. kind of the four biggest categories and you can look yeah. at different holistic models and find other dimensions as well like you know your your career and sure and others but yeah, you know financial. for me that just kind of yeah. kind of captures it i love what you said about spiritual i'll kind of end it here but i think it's always important to ask our question you know so it's like, it, like you said it doesn't have to be religiosity right. but you know who are we yeah. Why are we here? Why am I here? What Why am I am supposed I to do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and invariably, I think answering those questions will take you out of yourself Ugh. to look at those around you. Yeah. And that's what this conversation has been about. I feel like my whole life's about getting over myself, unlearning <laughs> what I've already learned, and uh, you right. know, finding that path towards yeah. uh, remembering what I forgot. And, and I think, uh, you know, you help me to remember what I forgot uh, well, quite it, often is, well, and I help me to unlearn to <laughs> what I need to unlearn. <laughs> so I, I, I look forward to having more conversations with you. We, we, we still have, we're just scratching the surface and yeah. so many things here, yeah. but certainly a good uh, introductory uh, conversation yeah. to, uh, to bring you to our I appreciate the invitation. I, I always appreciate awesome. the time. Yeah, yeah, no, this is the type of stuff we talk about when yeah. the mics are off and everything. And, and so I really appreciate it. That's you and, and so many others that we share orbits with yeah, we do. And, and do this really great work. And, and it's very, it's very fulfilling mm -hmm. and humbling yeah. and, and all these wonderful things and, and to do it in you know, union and partnership with someone like you, it just makes it all the better. And well, I want to thank you. you for all the, all the beautiful seeds that you've planted, uh, you know, within the students, within the community, with those that you've touched and, and continue planting very good seeds. You know, here's, the, here's the best. I know that they, those students that we have planted seeds in, you, you and me, they will come back and someday take our jobs. And won't that be honestly the best? Yeah. Yeah. day of all I to totally, see them yeah. you know that's a, yeah. the full passing of the baton yeah. for them to come back now and and step into our spots yep. and, and go the next the next steps yep. we're preparing the better yeah. world for them so that they can prepare a better world for us <laughs> as we, absolutely as we do our last one song and we'll do our last one song here but uh dr geyer thank you thank you for being thank on thank you yeah. thank you well as we like to sign off onward and upward i love that absolutely <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
Thanks for listening to the Independent Life Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352-378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.